am. Awesome. It's a good day. Let's open in prayer because that just seems like a good thing to do. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your love. We thank you for the beauty of this day. Father, we thank you that we can come inside to an air-conditioned building. We thank you for the ability of live stream to see no matter where we are, be it down the road or nations away. Father, we thank you for all of your love, all of your grace, all of your mercy upon us. Lord, I thank you for your hand upon this blessing. I thank you that it will minister to us, that it will draw us closer to you and draw us closer to the purpose that you have upon our lives. Lord, help us to open our hearts and be ready to receive from you, not just in this class, but in this entire service. Help us to be just open our hearts in worship and praise to you, to be hungry for your word. We pray your blessings upon Pastor Brian and the message that he is bringing, Lord. We know it is from you. We know it is good. And we know, Lord, that it will draw us to you and help build us to be stronger Christians, stronger disciples, stronger ambassadors for you. And, Lord, we just praise you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty. Well, okay. I've already told some of y'all, I forgot my bobby pins, so and my hair keeps falling in my eyes. I don't have a nervous tick. <laughs> but I need a haircut. Okay. So, let's get ready to rumble. I've been watching hockey. Pittsburgh Penguins are winning so far. Okay. <laughs> Level 3, Lesson 14. This one is A Call to Discipleship by Andrew Womack. And if anybody does not know what we are doing, we are continuing on and actually almost at the end of the Andrew Womack Discipleship Evangelism class. And it is so easy that really all we do pretty much is read. Anybody could do this. All right. So this one's a good one. So listen up. It says, Today we're going to talk about being a disciple and how to make disciples of other people. I want to remind you that the Lord gave us a command not to go make converts. I don't know, somebody's going, what? But listen. Not to go make converts. Not to just get people to confess Jesus as their Lord and receive forgiveness of sins, but to make disciples. And if you notice, he said not just to get people to confess. He's not saying we're not supposed to make converts. He's saying... But, more importantly, we're to make disciples. Although those first two were vital, and I'm not minimizing them at all, the real purpose has to be to go beyond being born again and to go on to maturity. The goal of a Christian who is a disciple should be to go and make disciples of other people. So what he's saying here is, and this is the, this is the problem with the world today, Lots of people are good at getting people saved. We can go out in the streets. We can preach Jesus and teach Jesus and how wonderful he is and how important it is to go to heaven. But then we just say, praise God, brother, we'll see you in heaven. And then we leave them. What do they know? They know Jesus is Lord. They know they're getting to heaven in the sweet by and by. But who's training them? Because it's a spiritual war. When you start walking with God, Satan is going to try to stop you. He's going to try to prevent you from being all that God's called you to be because Satan knows how powerful you are even if you don't know it. So the importance of, of discipleship is 
get them saved, but then you have to train them up. You have to teach them who they are. You have to teach them who God is, who they are in God, and the power that they have. You have to teach them how to live and walk the godly life, not just get them saved and leave them there. And they're like, well, I got this great gift, but I don't know what to do with it. Jesus told us to go and make disciples, to bring people to maturity, and to be able to reproduce. Our church world today hasn't done this. We've put the responsibility of getting people born again on what we call the clergy or ministers. We have evangelists who travel around, hold large crusades, and see thousands of people make decisions for the Lord. Though some of them are not really born again, but are just experiencing emotions, I'm sure there are people who are truly born again and have a relationship with the Lord. Most of the time, however, there's not an emphasis on going on and becoming a disciple. And that's not the way that God has intended it to be. I compare this to a person who loves babies. It would be totally irresponsible to have a baby, be excited about him or her, but only like seeing him or her born. When you have a child, you have to assume responsibility to train and raise that child. We need to put this one on Facebook. We tell people the main thing is to get born again, to confess Jesus as your Lord. When that happens, we pat them on the back and say, now you're a Christian, believe God, study the Bible, everything will be okay. That's not the Lord's emphasis. And it really is, that's about as stupid as having a child and forgetting you have to actually raise them. You have to teach them how to live. I mean, you look at all the kids running around and they're acting like total brats. They don't know how to act. They don't know how to behave. They don't know right from wrong. It's the same way with Christianity. We can get them born again, but we have to teach them what's right, what's wrong, and who, who they are in Christ, who God is. That's why you've got so many people out here running, running around with their little picket signs, you know, telling people, get born again or you're going to hell. How many people do you think they get born again? Not many at all. The very few are just acting out of fear because they don't want to go to hell. Not because they're accepting the love of Jesus and because they love Jesus. So that's why we have to train the Christians up so that they know how to be that love in action. Because of this, we've produced people, many of whom have made heartfelt commitments to the Lord but have no maturity. They're, no, they're unable to reproduce their faith because there is no material to help them. Instead of being positive witnesses for Jesus, they actually become negative witnesses. He intends for us to go out and reach people in a way that they become full-fledged disciples and are able to reproduce their faith in others. All right, now listen to this. This is powerful. If you led one person to the Lord every six months, separated yourself, and discipled them to the point that they become a mature Christian, who could reproduce their faith. At the end of the six months, there'd only be two Christians. Then, if each one of you led one person to the Lord, separated yourselves, and discipled them for six months, at the end of the year, there'd be four Christians. That doesn't look comparable to a person who could lead a thousand people to the Lord in a crusade and get them to confess Jesus. Most people would say, well, this discipleship method only produces four converts in the first year, whereas the other method would produce a thousand converts. We have to go with the other one. The man who could lead a thousand people to the Lord would have led 35,000 people to the Lord. That's good. 
and nobody would criticize it, but it's just a drop in the bucket compared to the world's population. Basically, that's the way the church has been functioning. If we emphasize discipleship, the person who leads one person to the Lord every six months, and those two do the same, in just a little over 12 and a half years, they would evangelize more than the population of the entire world. How about them apples? Some people think that can't be, but I challenge you to figure it out. I've multiplied it out in a little over 12 and a half years, one person discipling another person every six months, making them a reproducing member of the body of Christ, could evangelize five and a half billion people versus 12 and a half thousand with the other method. If we could get you to where you not only experienced victory and maturity yourself, but had a desire to go out and reproduce it in other people, if you became the trainer instead of the trainee, here are some of the things that could happen if only one person got a hold of this concept, followed the Lord to the place of maturity, and started discipling another person. If you did only this with one person per year, at the end of the year, there would be you and the person you discipled, too. At the end of two years, there'd be four. But if you continue to follow that, at the end of 10 years, there'd be 1,024 people who had been discipled and were reproducing members of the body of Christ. If you continued with only one person originally receiving this, at the end of the 20 years, there'd be over a million people. That's awesome. This is, the this is the method of multiplication that the Lord has established. Going and making disciples. Not going and making converts. It's by far the best way to expand the kingdom and reach people. But our mindset is looking for a quick fix. How many people go to large crusades, make, make commitments, go proclaim to be Christians, and still have anger, bitterness, jealousy, and become negative witnesses? If we want to count statistics, how many, how many people have turned away from the true gospel because they saw someone who claimed to be a Christian and thought, I'm as good as the hypocrite down there at the church. I don't need it. The whole point is that discipleship is a method God set down for evangelizing the world. The truth doesn't make you free until you continue in the word. You can find that in John 8:31 and 32. That's what God wants for each individual so they can experience his fullness. But it's also the method of evangelism that he set down. Whoever decided that was not the way to do it has substituted another method that hasn't worked. I pray that God speaks this to your heart to show you the value of discipleship. I encourage you to go on and become a disciple and a discipler of other people. You know... I'm reading this and I'm like, people think life is so hard and it's not. We've got, you know, we've got that word of God that tells us what to do, that tells us how to act, how to respond, how to behave, how to pray, how to live, how to succeed. The fact that we've already succeeded. Life isn't really that hard. It's we've made it harder because we've tried to substitute what God has called right. We've tried to substitute large crusades that get people saved and then leave them there instead of the discipleship method. How many of us, I mean, I was 18 before I got saved. And I'm thinking, 
My life could have been so different had I heard this as a kid. And I mean, I was raised in the South. There is a, a bar and a church on every corner. So why didn't somebody come to my family and try to tell us about God? Why didn't somebody try to come and disciple us, not just win us? Think of the world if we would take the time to disciple them. Early, Lucas 3, he's already being discipled. If God wants him to be anything besides fivefold ministry, he's going to have to train him. Because we're training him to serve. But think of how different his life is than maybe yours. Think about how easy, how much easier your life would be if you knew when a tax came, it's not personal, it's spiritual. So you don't respond by fighting back. You respond by dropping to your knees in prayer for that person, for that situation. How much quicker would those situations change? How much different would this world look? If Christians had been who they were called to be. Christians are more powerful than any enemy that we've ever had. More powerful than Hitler. More powerful than anything that we're facing now. More powerful than Satan himself. And that's already been proven in the word. So why aren't we walking in our power? It's like having a gun in hand. It's loaded. We can wave it around all we want. But if nobody ever tells us what the, what the parts are, what the bullet does, how to pull the trigger, how to aim, how to fire, that gun does nothing for us. This is who we are. We are loaded weapons for Christ to continue to destroy the enemy and to win souls for God and to disciple them. To raise them up knowing who they are in Christ so that they can go and do the same thing. This is the importance of discipleship. Because it's teaching people how to live, how to succeed, how to pray, how to respond. There's a power in that. And there's a reason that Satan has made sure that we don't, that we don't realize the fullness of what we're to do. He knows he can't defeat us. He's already defeated foe. You are already victors. As a child of God, you're not trying to win the battle. You're not trying to win the war. You are already victorious. However, do you walk in the full victory? Or do you walk continuing to think that you're fighting a battle? That's the difference. There are many people who have won and fought their whole life thinking that they're trying to win. Not realizing they've already crossed the finish line. Because Christ crossed it for them. This is why we need to disciple them. This is why so many people go through life, proclaiming Christians go through life busted and disgusted and not knowing how to win and throw their hands in the air and just say it's too hard and then go back to their worldly ways because no one's told them who they are. No one's taken the time to teach them. And we have to live that. We have to be that in action so that they can see that. It's important to win them, but it's even more important to teach them. So we have a few questions. Question one and two um, asked about, it says, It may surprise you to know that Jesus never called anyone to become a Christian. Rather, his call was for people to become disciples. 
And then 1 and 2 says, look through the Gospels. And then 2 says, look through Acts. And list as many scriptures as you can showing where Jesus was calling us to be disciples. And I didn't list every single one of them. There's a bunch. But you can look in Matthew 10, 13, 27, Luke 14, John 9, Acts 9, 16, and 21. All of those books talk about being disciples and the importance of it. Number three says, in Scripture, the word discipleship is used a total of 273 times. In all the Bible, the word Christian is used a total of three times. That's a big difference. List and write out on a separate sheet of paper the number three times that Christians... Okay. Um, and I skipped over that one. Read Matthew 10.25, which says... It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? What is a disciple according to this verse? A replication, a student. says, says, a disciple is one who becomes like his teacher or master. And ultimately, you know, let's say John is discipling me. As a proper discipler, he is training me not to be like him, my discipler, but he is training me to be like our master, like Jesus. I want to look like Jesus in every way possible. I want people to look at me and see love in a body. That's who we are to train people to be. So when we go out and we disciple people, John's not telling me, look, you need to look like me. You need to walk like me. You need to talk like me. Do what I do. He needs to say, you know what? You need to do this. You need to pick up the word of God. You need to read it. You need to find out what Jesus said, what Jesus did. Because if you look and see what Jesus did, he said, not me, but him. Even Jesus himself said, not I, but the Father. I will only do, I will only speak what I hear and what I see the Father say. This was the Son of God. This was your Savior. And he thought it important enough to put himself down and only do what God said. This is how we disciple people. We say, look like the Father, sound like the Father, act like the Father. Because you were created in His image, and He's given you everything you need to accomplish that. We don't have to muster it up and build it up. We simply go to His Word. We've got the cheat sheet, the easy button that we need. It's just we don't want to sit down and read it. Read Luke fourteen twenty six. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. True or false? This is easy. You got a 50-50 chance. <laughs> false. I'm just kidding. Being Jesus' disciple means the unconditional sacrifice of one's life for the whole of another's life. <laughs> All right. Luke 
So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Here's another one. True or false? And at least some cases, being Jesus' disciple meant the literal abandonment of everything to put the claim of Jesus first. Yep. Why would he ask that? See if your heart's right. How many of us, and I had to examine myself on this, when Jesus walks in the door now and says, get up, leave everything you have. You're not going home. Don't pick up your pocketbook. Don't pick up anything. Get up in the clothes you're wearing, the shoes on your feet, and that's it. Let's go. How many of us would get up knowing that we would never come back here? We would never go home. We would never see our family again, possibly. How many of us would get up and follow him? Or would we think, let me just go get this. Let me go say bye just one more time. But if you turn into Matthew, there's this awesome scripture that says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things, not a few things, not some things, not just the things to replace the things you've lost, but all things will be added to you. God says you've got to be willing to put me first so that you can be open to receive my all. Because if your hands are full of this and your hands are full of this, and your heart might be full of this, and God's got everything to lay in your lap, do you have anything, a hand, an extra hand, to lay out and receive what he's got? If I'm going to put out a hand to get his stuff, I'm going to have to drop something. But if I stand here and I hold on to my family, and I hold on to my job, and I hold on to my possessions... I have nothing left to hold on to him and everything that comes with him. He's not wanting you to necessarily give up. He's wanting you to be able to receive. Read Matthew nineteen twenty nine. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Awesome scripture. Everyone that has forsaken houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, receive a hundred times as much as everything. Okay, that's not the question. It just reread it. Is this, is this true? Okay, seriously. It just reads the scripture. Is this scripture true? You better get this one right. All right, read Acts 14:22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Question, true or false? Y'all have easy questions today. All of them. Discipleship needs to continue disciples need to continue in the faith. Uh, <laughs> Yep, 
Can we ever, okay, if anybody here has ever read through this entire Bible, do we ever stop reading it? If you've read Acts 14.22 872 times, do you stop reading it? Why? This isn't a true fault. You have to answer. It's living. It's true. You get new revelation. I can't tell you how many times I've read a scripture and I've read it and I've reread it and I've read it in different translations and I've gone back and I've read it again and every time I've read it, I've seen something different. Because whatever the situation was that God wanted me to receive that time, he can speak to me through that scripture no matter how many times we read it. We have to continue being a student our entire life. You have to continue studying the word. You have to continue walking in faith because it's the only way to succeed. Read Hebrews 10:14. For by one offering he has perfected for all times the all time those who are sanctified. The real objection to have some to let's start over. The real objection that some have to the scriptures that emphasize discipleship is that to be a Christian requires no effort. It's by grace. But to be a disciple requires real sacrifice and commitment. The truth is that the redemption of Christ required no effort on our part. It is perfect and requires no effort from us, but Christ's call was always for our whole and absolute life. And it's just asking you if this is true or false. Obviously it's true. Um, <laughs> we can, I mean, Christ is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough for it. You can't be clean enough for it. You can't be rich enough for it. You can't be you know, popular enough for it. It's a free gift to everyone who believes that Christ is the Son of God, that he died for their sins, and that he rose again. It's for anyone that will confess him as their Lord and Savior. That's it. You believe, you confess, you're a Christian. It's easy peasy. It's being the disciple that requires the work. It's being the disciple that says, all right, I got the free gift, but now I'm going to walk in it. Now I'm going to live it. Now I'm willing to give up everything I have if it means being a disciple of Christ. Acts eleven twenty six, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And the question says, true or false? Christ's call was not for two kinds of believers, some to be Christians that remain carnal, and some to be disciples. In reality, Christians and disciples were supposed to be the same. True. It says Christ's call was not for two kinds of believers, some to be Christians. In reality, Christians and disciples are the same, are supposed to be the same. Read Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go therefore... And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus' commission to the believers was to go and make A, disciples, or B, converts of all nations. <laughs> true, this is not the true false one. This is the one not true false. We're so tricksy. It's A, disciples. To go and make disciples. The end of that's pretty awesome. So many times we think, and I think we had this in another lesson, and so I'm, I'm chasing a rabbit, and you can allow me to for a minute. But we talked about um, in another lesson where we're in the darkness. Can we truly be surrounded by darkness? As a child of God, it is impossible for you to be surrounded by darkness. Because you have the light living within you. You are the salt and the light. Therefore, this room can be as pitch dark black as the pillow on that couch. But the moment you walk in that room, that room must light up. Because you walked in with the light. Because he says, I am with you always. There is nowhere you can go. There is nothing that you can do that will cause Christ to leave you. Period. Matthew 28, 20. Oh, we read them both. Okay. Question is, true, false. Believers are to teach others to obey everything that Jesus commanded. True. True, true. Believers are to teach others to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And then the last question. John 1, 12. This is true false. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. True or false, Jesus did offer his benefits, forgiveness, justification, etc., but not without taking his person. <laughs> You're like, what does that mean? Well, without taking his person means without receiving him. Can you take Jesus' gifts? Peace out, Jesus. <laughs> or, exactly. His benefits are a part of who he is. So if you're going to have one, you got to have both. So the question is true. Jesus did offer all of his benefits. Forgiveness, justification, sanctification, deliverance, everything, prosperity, healing, every good thing is who God is. And every bit of it is yours. As a child of God, Every bit of good is yours because that's who God is. He is every good and perfect thing. And as you receive him as your Lord and Savior, you get it all. You are a part of the kingdom of God. Everything he has is yours. There is nothing in my house that my kids can't have. 
be it food, be it clothes. I've gone into my, my uh, what do you call it, my closet and found clothes missing. Why? Because Abigail knows what's mine is hers. And so she goes and she gets. It's the same way with God. Everything he has, everything he is, is ours. The moment we receive him. So I'm asking you, examine yourself. And you may have been to one of those crusades. You may have been to a service where things got, you know, emotional. Somebody may have preached a great message. Somebody may have preached a fire and brimstone message and scared the mess out of you. And so you went running to your knees, Lord, don't send me to hell. But have you really received Christ as your Savior? Or have you just asked for his benefits? And this is a serious question. This is one I want you to examine right now. So close your eyes and examine yourself. Have I truly received Christ as my Savior? Or have I just wanted his goods? If you need to receive Christ as your Savior today, raise your hand because I want to pray for you. You have a God who loves you more than anything in this world. He doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care who you are, who you think you are. He doesn't care what you look like. He doesn't care how smart you are, how bad you are, how smelly you are, how rich you are, how popular you are. Because what he sees is he sees his child. And that's all he sees. He sees a son and a daughter that he loves with everything that he is. And if you have received him, then I encourage you now, as you're sitting there and examining yourself, just decide, Lord, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, but today I choose to be a disciple for you. I choose to live out each day of my life learning more and more about you, more and more of who I am, learning about who I am called to be, learning about my purpose. Lord, let me do things your way, not mine. I will no longer walk by logic. I will no longer walk by what I see, Lord, but I will walk by what you say, what's in your word. And then I will live my life looking for ways to disciple others so that they know who that they are. So that they can go and they can make more disciples. Lord, we will live our whole life serving you. Being all that you have called us to be. We will walk in love in everything that we do. Not retaliation, not by emotions, not by anything that we see, but we will walk in love, period. Because that is who you are and that is who we are. Because we abide in you and you abide in us. So Father, open our eyes. Give us eyes to see. Give us understanding and wisdom so that we can know the areas where we can be disciples for you. Help us to see the things that we need to learn. See the ways that we need to grow. Help us to realize that less of us and more of you is everything. 
because after, as we seek after you, we have everything that we need and then more to pour out into this world. We will be world changers for you. And the only way possible to do that is not by our strength, but by yours. But by walking in your truth and your love and your understanding. And we thank you for it. We thank you that you have put men and women around us to disciple us. Lord, help us to not walk in pride thinking that we know it all. If someone tries to teach us something that we think we know, help us to keep our mouth shut and our ears open to receive from them because there may be that one golden nugget that we've missed. Lord, we want to soak up every ounce that you have for us. More and more of you each and every day. We're packing it in. We're filling every nook and cranny of our lives with you, Lord. And we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good stuff.